Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hello and welcome to episode number 48 of the Familypreneur podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by EIEIO Marketing. Facebook advertising does not have to be stressful and overwhelming, not when you have a former Facebook employee in your corner. If your business is looking for a reputable agency to manage your Facebook ads, visit EIEIOMarketing.com and reach out for a free consultation today. When you think about your Facebook marketing strategy, always remember EIEIO, where their name isn't just cute, it represents the ideal Facebook strategy. Engage, interact, educate, influence, and optimize. Now let's introduce our guest. Donia Barmgarner is a coach, a mama, and an artist who works primarily with creative entrepreneurs who want to do meaningful work and also be awesome moms. They want to get out from under the guilt and overwhelm and find a little space to be themselves again but it feels impossible to balance all the pieces. She brings her skills as a coach and a project manager to the table through one-on-one coaching to help them focus their time, attention, and energy so that they can confidently pursue their passions, make a difference in the world, and be present and engaged moms. I'm so excited to begin the conversation with Donia today. Hi, Donia. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. I'm excited to have you. So I want to just jump in and I want to hear your opinions on mom guilt. Why is this such a big issue? It is such a big issue. And you know, there's a lot of reasons for mom guilt, but the ones that I see and the people that I talk to a lot, what the pattern that I'm really pulling from having conversations with mom about why they feel guilty is almost always because they're spending their time on things that are not what they want to be spending their time on. So it could be that they're spending a lot of time working at a job that they don't love and they're away from their kids and they really want to be with their kids. They could be spending a lot of time with their kids when really they're really needing something away from their kids. They want something outside of being a parent. So sometimes it's the flip side or it may be, you know, maybe it's not something even that big. You know, it may be just that they're spending a lot of time cleaning their house and really they want to be having a creative practice of some kind. And that guilt may come up in some really amorphous way because usually you don't feel guilty about cleaning your house, but you feel guilty about maybe not being a creative mom or you feel guilty about not doing Pinterest worthy, whatever, you know, so it could, it could come out kind of sideways, but it's that misalignment I think is usually behind guilt. So when moms feel guilt, I always, you know, when my clients are feeling guilty about something, I always really encourage them to really think about what's important in their life and are they spending time on those things? And if not, then what can they shift? And is that how you get to the bottom of what the true source is? Like you just mentioned 
sometimes you like you might be cleaning, but what you really feel guilty of is not being able to be that creative mom. So I'm wondering, how do you get to the source? How do you know what's causing you to feel guilty? And is it that prioritization? It often will fall out in conversation. So for example, if I'm coaching someone and they're saying, oh my gosh, I really, you know, all the other moms make these awesome, beautiful lunches. And I just don't feel like I'm good at that. You know, and I'm hearing there's this piece of guilt. I'll say, well, where are you creative in your life? And they say, well, I don't really have any time to be creative with my life. (laughs) Well, what are you doing with your time? Well, my house is really clean. I'm like, okay, well, let's shift that. So sometimes it's more like there's a pull towards something. And then when we start talking about it, we realize that that thing that they have a pull toward, they're actually not putting any time toward it. So they have emotional pull, but no time on it. So then we can just look at what they can undo in another place to have more time for that thing. And there's almost always something that you can not do. <laughs> that was totally going to be my next question. Was like, so now that you've identified that like, I really want to make Pinterest-worthy lunches for my kids, when does that happen? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, and I have to say, first of all, that is kind of a funny thing. I mean, you know, if you really want to make Pinterest worthy lunches for your kids, awesome, go for it. But my kid is not appreciative of Pinterest worthy. So I really recommend putting your creative energy somewhere where it will be better appreciated. Sure. (laughs) So say you want to have whatever creative practice and you feel like there's no space in your life. So what I like to do with my clients is just start looking at where their time is going. And sometimes that is, that takes creating a log you know, like, what do I do all day? What does my day look like? And where does my time go? Some people really don't know where their time goes. And I think especially when you have really little kids, if you're at home with toddlers, it's really easy to get to the end of the day and just like, I have no idea what I did all day today. (laughs) And it really takes intentionality to get that clear. But for other people, they can kind of break down like, oh, I spend this much time doing this and I spend this much time doing that. And then I can kind of check in with people like, well, how does that feel that this chunk of time that you spend doing childcare, this chunk of time that you spend doing cleaning, this chunk of time that you spend working on business or working on my husband's business or my father's business or whatever. How do you feel about those things? Does that feel like where you want to spend your time? And when I talk about that, it feels a little bit amorphous. But the reality is that when when you check in with your body, you know, you know, if it feels good, or if it doesn't feel good, almost immediately, it's more like bringing attention to that knowledge, because we can spend a lot of our lives doing things because we think we should, because someone told us to, because there's an expectation to, and not checking in with ourselves about how we feel about it and burying whatever resentment we might be feeling. And really all it takes is noticing how it feels. Okay. So it seems manageable. It seems easy enough to identify like on one piece of paper, how do you spend your day, break things down. And then on that other piece of paper to write down like your fairy tale day. Yeah. Here are the things I want to do. Here's the things I need to accomplish. And then with some simple, like that line, those line <laughs> problems, you do small, you'd like attached like one concept to the other, you can figure yeah. out where things misalign. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where they don't line up. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, yes, it does seem easy, but the reality is that it doesn't feel easy. And that's why I think so many of us struggle with it is that, yeah, if you just write it down on paper, it is a pretty simple interaction. It's a pretty simple formula. And that's why sometimes I feel like, wow, I can't believe I'm teaching this stuff. It seems so easy, but it's not easy in practice because of 
all of the weight of what we should be doing and what moms are supposed to do and what a good mom does and what our family says we should do and what our partner says we should do. And that stuff's heavy and it's really hard to unhook from. So even if you create your, you know, like you said, the fairy tale schedule, if you create your ideal day, that doesn't mean that you're going to walk into your day the next day and it's just going to happen. So your kids have an expectation of how you spend your day, which might not be your new schedule. You might have feelings about giving up something or not doing something or saying no to something that you were doing before. How are other people going to react to that? And that can be really hard to unhook from. And that's true too. All those outside opinions. Yeah. Well-meaning most of the time. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Mostly. <laughs> no, I can't tell you how many times like my husband will, will come home or something and I'll be like, you would never know how much stuff I actually did today. Like I've been going nonstop yet. The kitchen is a mess. The dishes aren't done. The toys aren't picked up. Like it's a disaster. Boy, oh boy. So you have a, a unique perspective too on productivity. I think it yeah. kind of leads us into that. So I think I do. Tell me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least unique for me. <laughs> for some of us at least. Why don't you believe in productivity for productivity's sake? Because I don't think that busy is where we want to live our lives. That's really the bottom line. So I can teach lots of productivity tips. I, I was a project manager and then a program manager. So that means I managed project managers at Apple for over a decade. So I am really, really good at how to save time doing things, how to be more efficient, how to to set up systems, how to go fast. But what I've realized is that all of those skills in the workplace were really all about getting more work done, getting things out faster, earning more money, blah, blah, blah. But when you bring them into your personal life, you can create time you know, you can do all those productivity tips, you can create time. But what we tend to do is we just cram more stuff into the space that we make. And then we just get more tired because we're not computers. (laughs) We're not, we need rest. We need connection time. We need creativity. We need hobbies. We need sleep. And if we just get more productive so that we can do more stuff, I think it's harmful to us in the long term harmful to our families, harmful to our health, harmful to our relationships. And I don't want to support that. So what I support instead is learning how to be more efficient so that you can do the things you want to do, get, have time to do, run a business if you're, that's what you're doing or have a creative hobby if that's what you're doing. And then you'll have more gaps in your day to do what you choose to do with them, whether that's spend more one-on-one time with your kids or start a different hobby or start a business or just sleep, (laughs) read a book. (laughs) And those things, I mean, we laugh because those things, when you're a busy business owning mom, having time to take a nap or read a book, like who has time for that? But that's my goal. We should all have time for that. We should be intentional about our time. And that's, that's the part that I, that's unique for me, you know, is I love the, the perspective that you bring about, how you handle productivity at work and how different that is from how you should handle productivity at home because I do those the wrong way, as you put it, like the bad way. (laughs) Where (laughs) I do, I I have all of these systems in place and I use all of these tools to make, to allow me to produce more and to have a better business presence. But I don't proportionally 
than spend more time with my family or spend more time on self-care. Instead, I add more to the business. And I'm still doing some stuff with my family. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not, but it's a mindset shift, you know, again, that that productivity doesn't have to result in more productivity. So that's what's shifting and eye-opening for me. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about how I came to that perspective that because I think I've sort of been walking toward it, but not really able to talk about it. And I think in this last year, I've really had some awareness about why that's so important to me. And this is the way my business and day works. I am right now solo parenting my daughter. She's seven years old. So she's, it's summertime right now, but she'll be going into second grade. And my boundary in my life is that I only work on my business when she's at school or at camp or in childcare. So I'm not trying to work when she's here with me and I don't have another parent to spell me. So when she's here, she needs to be parented. So what that means is I really only have about 15 hours a week ish to work on my business. And as my business has grown, it takes more time. (laughs) So in order to keep my business within 15 hours a week, I had to get a lot more productive in those 15 hours. So I was applying my productivity skills to getting really efficient in my business. So I was building systems and I was just making sure I could work very quickly. I knew exactly what to do when I sat down for my work time so that I could keep the rest of my life open for my daughter and my family time. And what I realized as I was talking to other moms is that those same skills applied whether they had that particular boundary in their life or not. So they could make their work more efficient so that they could work fewer hours. They could make their work more efficient so that they could fit it within a boundary like I'm doing. They could make their housework more efficient so that they could have more time to work. Sometimes it goes the other way. But really, it's just a skill set that you can apply to wherever you want to find more time. So I think that this is a, a natural place to ask you a little bit about how you work with your clients. Like, what is it that you're doing that you're able to fit into 15 hours? I mean, especially for those of us who are spending more than 15 hours, I think it may seem out of the realm of possibilities. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what your business looks like. Yeah. So I have a small business because 15 hours a week. So I am not supporting myself on my income from my business. I have other income that pays most of my bills. So I wouldn't say this is bonus money. It's not quite bonus money, but I'm not putting the pressure on my business to support my full income. And that makes a huge difference. So that's clearly not, not everybody can do that. But what that looks like on a day-to-day basis is that I spend right now my breakdown, I think, is I spend about half my time doing marketing type tasks, which includes things like talking on podcasts and reaching out to people and being active in Facebook groups. And I'm trying to think how the breakdown works. So I think it's about half time marketing and my admin time is very, very efficient. And I do my admin time and social media account together. And I try not to spend more than two hours a week doing that stuff. So that's like answering my emails, doing all my social media promotion, doing my logging, you know, like my logging for my month end numbers and statistics and all that stuff all fits into two hours a week. And clearly that means I don't do very much social media. And I, that was a very conscious decision because I used to do a lot of time on social media and I was not getting anything out of it. And it was just a time sink. So I just stopped. And you know, my my traffic numbers haven't declined. And that's part of what I mean by it's a skill set. So it's looking at where are you getting the most bang for your time 
bang for your buck or bang for your time. And then where are you spending time and it's not gaining anything in whatever direction you want to be gaining? And then just, you know, don't do it. (laughs) It's not getting you what you want. Don't do it. So I've made adjustments in my business so that I can spend less time working by looking at the things that I was wasting time on and then just not doing them. And I'd love to be able to say that I outsource, but I don't right now. I do everything myself. So at some point, I may be able to hire some people to fill in for some of the things I'm not doing or not doing very well right now. But right now, I just do the things that have the biggest impact on moving my business forward. And I don't do the things that don't. And how has has that changed since your child, since your daughter was younger? Does it look differently now? Or were you able to maintain that same kind of balance you know, when she was young? Yeah, that's a good question. My business has changed quite a bit over the years since I've had her. The work that I'm doing now, I've really only been doing for the past couple years. And so she's been in school and, you know, she's been school age that whole time. So I don't think in that sense, my business has not changed a whole lot. Before, when she was younger, I was doing more freelance writing, not client work. So I wasn't doing one-on-one work with people. So I didn't have the scheduling issues. So when, you know, when, when you're a writer, you can fit your work time into whatever space you have. It doesn't have to be (laughs) during the day when somebody else is available, you know? So that made my, my life a lot more flexible. And when she was younger, I still had daycare. So even though I was the at-home parent, that was a struggle for me to accept for myself that I deserved to hire daycare, even though my business was not really making enough money to even pay for the daycare, because it was so important to my brain to have something to do (laughs) that wasn't parenting, that I was a much better parent when I was doing that. So I was freelance writing, but I wasn't making a whole lot of money at it. It was really more for fun. But I had regular hours. I had a nanny who came three mornings a week for three hours. And in those 12 hours, I wrote and I pitched and I really loved it, but it was small. And then there were certainly days where my toddler hadn't slept the night before. And so in that three hours, I read a book instead of writing an article or whatever I was writing. So I used some of that time for my own self-care just because I needed to be alone sometimes. And what do you have any tips for self-care? So like developing self-care plans. I know that doesn't come easy for a lot of moms because we're so, I don't know if I want to say conditioned or (laughs) so conditioned to care more about other people, but you know, we'll, we'll bend over backwards to make sure our kids are taken care of, but our own self-care, how do we manage that? Yeah. And sometimes we don't even know what to do, like where to start. And so something that I really recommend people do, if you're struggling with what does self-care even look like? What do I even want to do to take care of myself? Is to really think about, like, just make a list of the things that make you feel good or that make you feel like you lose track of time or that after you do them, you feel excited or grounded. And they don't have to look like what everybody else might do. So, you know, when you think of self-care, like you go on Pinterest and you're like, oh, I'm going to find some self-care ideas. You can find a million lists on Pinterest that are like the top 10 self-care ideas, 101 self-care ideas. First of all, nobody needs 101 self-care ideas, like five, (laughs) great go-to list. But they usually include things like take a nap, go to the beach, call your friend, get a pedicure, get a massage. And not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but we can't all do them all the time. Like I have not been able to have massage in my life. I probably could now, but for years I could not really have massage in my life because it would require 
making the appointment and then finding childcare. <laughs> it's like, it's, that's just too much work. And some of them aren't free. Not and they're not free. Yeah. The... Then you have to pay for it. Yeah. Right. And especially if you get childcare and then go get a massage, that is an expensive self-care right there. Childcare plus anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I went to a play last night and I paid my sitter twice what I paid for the ticket to the play. And I was like, huh, I don't know if that was <laughs> the best outing I could have done. <laughs> It was fun though. So yeah, that's why I say to start is just think about the things that just make you feel good. And those things might be anything. I might, I mean, calling your friend is excellent self-care. Going for a walk with or without your children is excellent self-care. It doesn't have to be alone. You know, you can do self-care with other people. That's a good point too. I like that. Because I think oftentimes you think self-care is solo. Right. Or at least without your kids. Right. And it does not have to be. I mean, it can be a dance party when everyone's cranky. Were you here last night? <laughs> we do dance parties all the time. I think that's yeah, my favorite. They're awesome. And especially when the mood is off and you're like feeling really off in your parenting, I think self-care equals whatever gets your feet back under you. So whatever that is, whether it's a dance party or it's just reconnecting with your kid with a hug, you know, that can be self-care too. But then I also think about things that are ways you take care of yourself that make your life easier. So I did a podcast episode on this just recently, and I focused it around things that I've been doing since I've been solo parenting, which has really only been the last couple of years. But I included things that were not things that most people think of as self-care, like automating all my bill payments so that I don't pay anything late and get a late charge. And I don't have to think about it every month. Doing a meal plan for the week can be really good self-care because then you just think about it once and then you... I love being told what to do by my to-do list. So I make a to-do list and then I just show up and say, tell me what to do. So when I do a menu plan, I decide on... I usually do it Sunday night. I decide on Sunday what I'm going to eat for the whole rest of the week. And then I just show up in the kitchen on Thursday night and I say, oh, okay, this is what we're making for dinner. No decision-making required. And you know, and I look at my calendar and I know which nights we have events or whatever. So I plan around that. But it really feels like someone's taking care of me, which is exactly what self-care is. So it's you taking care of yourself in whatever way that looks like. It can be in the future. It can be in the moment. It can be by yourself. It can be with other people. Hmm. I haven't thought about it that way either. Because <laughs> as you were talking, I was thinking, well, that seems almost like just productivity tips like how to be more productive. And I don't think I've ever thought about the fact that that could be self-care if your self is benefiting from it. Certainly. Yeah. And, and that's why I think that this productivity in the pursuit of having more time is exactly self-care because it's giving us this open space, which feels so loving and nurturing when we have it. So we, whatever work we do to create it is self-care. So another thing to think about in terms of self-care is that we often think of self-care as something we have to do when things get critical. And so another way to think about self-care is what we do before it gets critical or what we do to keep it from getting critical. It's like preventative. Preventative care. Yeah, exactly. And the podcast I was talking about, I was talking about these are the things I'm doing in this hard season in my life, but... I had to figure them out because I was in this hard season in my life, but most of them are things I'm just going to keep doing because they make my life a whole lot easier. So there's kind of that push-pull between what do you do when you're falling apart and you need to take care of yourself and what do you do to keep yourself from falling apart or what do you do, what do you continue 
from when you were falling apart just because it makes more sense for your life. Which is not to say that applying self-care when things are falling apart is bad or like you've done it wrong. You know, I don't want to give that impression because, you know, things happen. Life happens sometimes. And it's really good to know. I almost feel like you need two different lists. There's like radical self-care that you do when things are kind of falling apart. And then there's just normal everyday, this is how I care for myself, tasks that you implement in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, have you introduced these concepts to your daughter? I'm curious, like, because it's really big for me. It's really important to me to teach our kids these things. So I'm wondering, I'm sure her seeing you do these self-care things is beneficial, but how have you introduced them to your seven-year-old? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I don't think that I have been overt about it. I mean, I don't talk about it as self-care, but I do often talk to her about what does she need right now? That's a question I ask her a lot. What do you need right now? And I really invite her to be aware of what's happening in her body, especially if she feels like she's a little bit out of control or if she's cranky or if she's acting out with me in some way, I'll say, what's going on in your body right now? What does your body say it needs? And she's gotten pretty good at being able to check in with herself. And sometimes, I mean, usually I still have to prompt her because she is seven, but you know, she can say, well, I'm hungry or I just, I need a hug, mom, you know? <laughs> okay, great. I'll give you a hug. A hug I can handle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just stop yelling at me. So yeah, it's almost like I can see that she is integrating the ideas without necessarily having the words for them. And as I'm talking to you about this, I'm like, oh, I should probably give her more words for that process, which I hadn't really thought about. And I'm also seeing her, I don't know quite how to describe it, like extrapolate what I've taught her in those spaces, she has been struggling with some anxiety in the last few months. It comes up sort of intermittently and it's been test anxiety and separation anxiety sometimes. And what I've seen with her is as we talk through, what are you afraid of? How will you deal with that? How will you move forward? She's integrating that into her own process. So a few months ago, she had some really severe test anxiety. She had a spelling test and a Taekwondo belt test land on the same day one week. And she was freaking out. And I didn't really blame her. I mean, spelling test, maybe not so much, but Taekwondo belt test is kind of a scary thing. So she was really, really nervous. And so we talked about, we can't cancel the spelling test, but we could not do the belt test. Would you like to not do the test? Yes, I'd like to do that. Okay, fine. I'll call your teacher and we'll reschedule. And then what will you do about the spelling test? How will you feel calm during your spelling test so that you can perform well? So we talked about breathing exercises and we talked about imagining the words on the chalkboard and how they're spelled so that she would feel confident. And then she came home from school that day and said, I want to do the bell test. I was like, okay, great. Let's go. How will you keep yourself calm? And she said, I'm going to breathe and I'm going to imagine myself doing, you know, it's like she just repeated back to me the coaching that I'd given her earlier in the day. And since then she's been occasionally she'll just talk about it. Like I'm feeling, you know, my stomach is hurting a little bit and I'm feeling kind of nervous. So I think I'm, I'm going to go for a little walk or I think I'm going to take some deep breaths right now and then she'll just do it. <laughs> it reminds me of my youngest who we, we've lovingly dubbed our cheerleader. Like just the other day, we, yesterday we were at the doctor with my four-year-old who wasn't even nervous. Like that she wasn't she was fine, but my three-year-old was saying, don't worry, you'll be okay. It's going <laughs> to be fine. Like she's telling her all these things. I'm like, she, she is fine. Like she's not even worried, but 
I think they pick that stuff up. It's so cool to hear the stories of how she's picking it up, even though you've admitted like you haven't been overt with it, but she is seeing it. Yeah. There's also, I just want to say that there's this piece about awareness of the body, which I think many of us are really disconnected from our bodies and something that I've seen her doing, which I just love. And I'm, and I hope she can hold on to this in her life is that she, she really notices what's happening in her body. So she'll say, my stomach is hurting right now. And it's because, you know, and it could be like 10 things. It's because I have to go to the bathroom. It's because I'm excited, but she'll like notice something in her body and then question it in a way that, you know, many of us are not habitual about. We should be because our bodies have a great deal of wisdom to tell us, but unless we actively practice it, we really don't do that very often. And so just seeing her have that habit of checking in with herself, I think is so powerful. Oh, that's awesome. And I think that's like the underlying goal is to position our kids to be a a step ahead of where we were when we like became an adult, you know? So if she can hold on to that, and I think she probably will, especially if you keep fostering it, you know, you keep your finger on the pulse of it too. Is your stomach hurting? Well, why do you think it's hurting? Well, why might it be hurting and being able to expand it out that way. But that's also interesting, you know, for those of us who don't have kids that are necessarily that in tune to be able to start planting those seeds in them. You know, what does your body feel like and exploring? And I think it is so much easier to teach that to kids than it is to teach that skill to adults. Because I mean, I'm not a somatic teacher, but I feel like if you're trying to learn those skills in adults, there's a lot more stuff that comes up. Like we just have a lot more baggage about our bodies. So when you say, how do you feel in your body? You're like, oh, I feel fat and I feel this and I feel that. And kids don't have all that stuff. So when you say, how do you feel in your body? They're like, oh, I'm excited and it feels bubbly. You know, like, and that's it. Like that's the whole story. So if you want to teach your kids those skills, just start asking some simple questions. How do you feel right now? What does your body feel like? And then talk about whatever comes up for them. Does excitement always feel like bubbles? Does it sometimes feel like running? Like get them in touch with what their feelings feel like. And then when they have big feelings, when they're mad, they can talk about their feelings in a way that it will help you help them work through them much more easily. Do you remember, I mean, I'm probably dating myself. I don't know how close we are to the same age, but like there was a chart and it was like a face and it was like a little boy's face and it was all his emotions. Yes. You remember, remember that like yeah. piece of paper? Now I'm going to have to see if I can find it on like Google <laughs> or something. If Google even goes that far back in history to like help kids understand what the different emotions are and just getting kids to feel comfortable articulating what those things are. It's a beautiful thing when my three-year-old says to me, I'm frustrated. Yeah. I remember Stella telling me once when she was, I don't know, she was like maybe four years old maybe three even, we had been hanging out with a friend of hers and her friend had this cool doll that had matching clothes to what she was wearing. And, and I could tell Stella was like having some feelings about the doll, you know, like she was a little touchy about it. And as soon as her friend got out of the car, she said, mom, I'm feeling really jealous about that doll. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing (laughs) that you can tell me that. Like, that is so cool. Yeah. Also, we can do something about that because I could totally go get you a doll. (laughs) So thank you for telling me. Right. And I think they have, they sell like those like matching outfits, even at like Walmart. Like, I think, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a big investment and it was, she was so excited about it. But if she had not told me I'm feeling jealous about that, we couldn't have had a conversation about it. You know, she would have just been mean to her friend and picked a fight. 
and I wouldn't have known why. <laughs> right. And that's like, and you could ask her and if she didn't have the words for it. Yeah. And, you know, talking about the chart that you were just talking about, I remembered that in my daughter's preschool, they had, it wasn't a chart, but I, I think they had like popsicle sticks that had little faces on the end of the popsicle stick that were similar to that. So the kid, if kids were having a, a hard interaction, the teachers would take them to this jar where they had these popsicle sticks and they would have them pick out the stick that was how they were feeling. Then they also had a solution jar. So they would have a feelings jar and a solutions jar so they could pull out a solution for themselves. Like I'm feeling mad. So what I need to do is go run in the yard or what I need to do is hit a pillow or whatever it was. I don't, I don't remember what they had in the jar. Age appropriate, safe thing for preschools. <laughs> but what I loved about it was that it went beyond identifying the feeling to what to do about the feeling, because that is more that we often get stuck is like, okay, I'm feeling really anxious and I don't know what to do about that. And if you can't move into action, you're just stuck with the feeling. And that can be really difficult for kids or adults. Well, I think that's where you start to act out or act inappropriately. And it's not, it's not a malicious thing. It's not like that's when the child becomes a bad child. It's just you don't know what to do and you get frustrated and it doesn't come out well. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. It doesn't spill out joyfully. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So having those coping techniques, and I love what you said earlier about identifying, you know, what you need to get you through the hard times and then trying to keep that. And maybe it's putting together a jar of those things that get you through the tough times so that when, even as an adult, I'm thinking, well, that might be able to help me when I'm feeling (laughs) anxious or hangry. You mentioned hungry earlier. Yeah. Yep. That's me. I have that issue. To be able to like go to a jar and be reminded of these are things I can do. These are things that typically help you. Yeah. You know? And not to, it may seem silly or juvenile, but not to be ashamed about that. I think sometimes in the heat of the moment when you're really annoyed or frustrated or anxious, it's hard to think back to like those rational times. Yeah. And that's actually not the popsicle sticks, but this is a, an exercise I give to my clients sometimes. It's like to make a self-care list. So it might be things that you need to do, like when your parenting buttons are being pushed, like that's one list of things. It might be things that I can do when I have 15 minutes, like I'm just starting to create some space in my life. And then I, you know, and then I have the space, but I don't know what to do with it. So then I get on Instagram and that's not self-care. Maybe it is. I like Instagram, but you know, whatever you're doing to fill that time, just because you have no idea what else to do. So make a list of self-care that fits in various spaces. I love that too. And then you just have it to refer to. So it's just a tool. And I often find myself, I mean, just before this call, I had a call before this call and when it ended, I'm like, oh, I've got 15 minutes. Like that's exactly what I had left. And it's like, well, it's not enough time for me to take one of my like to-dos from later in the day and get it done now. Like it's, it's not enough time. I don't want to start a project and not be able to finish it. So I sit here and think, what am I going to do? What yeah, am I going to do for 15 minutes? Like I could go to the bathroom, that's not going to take 15. Yeah, right. So I end up scrolling on Facebook and then I feel like that was a waste of time. So it would be awesome to have a list. Yeah. So what would you put on it if you had a 15 minute list? Oh boy. Now you put me on the spot, right? <laughs> on the spot coaching. <laughs> And I mean, to give you an answer, right now, one of the projects I'm working on, which is kind of a work project, but a passion project, is writing a children's book and illustrating it. And the writing part is just about done. And now it's time for the illustration part. And I'm 
I'm not following any tutorial. If there's any like children's <laughs> book publishers, they're probably going to be like, what are you doing? This is all wrong. <laughs> but I actually went and bought a sketchbook and like, I'm going to draw the pictures. And I've heard like, well, you need to digitize. I'm doing it my way. And I'll worry about the results later. You know, I'll worry about the, <laughs> so I could doodle. I feel like that's probably what I should have done is doodle a little bit in my book. Coloring has always been kind of therapeutic to me. Like I used to buy like those adult coloring books and now I just feel like I don't have time to do it. Talking to the productivity lady. <laughs> but you're right. Like, there's After 15, this conversation, you may be able to find some time. There's 15 minutes that I would have had to. Yeah. So, okay. So that reminds me of something. So the other thing about, especially those 15 minute time self-care items is put them especially if it's things like you need stuff, like you need coloring is your self-care, but then you need the coloring book and you need the pens or the pencils or whatever. Put those things where they're really easy to get to. So if you find yourself with 15 minute breaks in your office a lot, don't keep your coloring book in the living room. Keep it right there next to you. But that's kind of the second half of like, you figure out what your things are and then you're like, okay, how can I make this so easy that it's just as easy as picking up my phone and getting on Facebook? Like make it so that you will trip over it. It's so easy until it becomes a habit. And then you'll reach for that instead, even if you have to go looking for it. But at the beginning, just make it so easy that for to be successful. I like it. I love how... I didn't really know where this conversation was going to take us. I love how it like went through mommy guilt, productivity, <laughs> self-care, raising empowered kids who are in touch with their feelings and emotions. And I got a coaching session out of it. So... <laughs> I don't think you could ask for more in like one little <laughs> episode. Can you share like where can people find more about you, your resources, all that good stuff? Yeah. So I right now have two websites, which is not efficient and is on my list of things to fix. So I have nurturedmama.net, which is where you can find my blog and my coaching resources and information about how to work with me. And then I have nurturinghabit.com, which is my podcast, which of course you can also subscribe to on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, all those places. So the coaching work that I do, I have two packages right now that I'm really excited about. One is a to-do list rescue package. And that is for moms that have a to-do list that's overwhelming them. So if you just need some help, like getting out from under, <laughs> just need to figure out how to get organized and move forward, I can help with that. And then the other one, I'm actually just changing the name. So I don't have it totally clear right now. I think I'm going to call it the mom guilt something mom guilt package. I have it written down in the other room, so I can't read it off. But it's about that that space where you're feeling like your life is kind of out of alignment and you're having a lot of guilt about it. So it's me helping you really get clear about what's going on and where you can reset and have an action plan to feel more empowered and more like super mom because we should really all feel much more like super mom. And then I do also just do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people who have, you know, if they want longer term support or if they want different, if they have different issues and want coaching on, I also do that. So you can find all that information on nurturedmama.net and I have an email list you can sign up for. I have a great worksheet that's like get control of your life worksheet that you can download and get on my email list. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for this great discussion. Like I said, going through so many different things. Yeah, it was great fun. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. You'll find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrenson.com slash 48. 
Last week, we met Erin Lohman Jack, a highly sought after business coach who transitioned into opening her own speakers agency and becoming the leading authority on assisting thriving, purpose driven entrepreneurs to monetize their message, make an impact, influence change, and inspire action in others. Like many of us, her journey was really inspired by her desire to be a more present mom for her kids. And her oldest son is already following in her footsteps. She is raising an amazing philanthropic child. And in this episode, we will explore how to foster entrepreneurial values, including philanthropy, in our kids. Make sure you go back and give that one a listen if you happen to miss it. Next week, I'm eager to introduce you to John and Mark X. Cronin, the father and son co-founders of John's Crazy Socks, a venture inspired by John, a young man with Down syndrome. John's affinity for crazy socks, paired with his love of making people smile, made their mission clear to spread happiness. John's Crazy Socks is a social enterprise with both a social mission and an e-commerce mission. And every day, they want to show the world what people with differing abilities can do. They've created 35 jobs and 18 of those are held by people with differing abilities. And they've shipped over 120,000 orders, earning over $4 million in revenue. Next week's interview is going to be entertaining, enriching, and educational. And it's one that you're certainly not going to want to miss. It was such a fun episode to record, and I know that you're going to love listening to it too. As always, it's been wonderful spending a little bit of time with you today, and I will see you again next week. Bye. Don't miss my mom's next episode. Subscribe to the Familypreneur Podcast and automatically get access to the newest episodes every week.